hey everybody, I was certainly hoping that this week, um, July the 19th, we would be all together live and in person at Tulsa Ballet. But as you know, circumstances uh, have dictated or safety has dictated that we meet online again. And let me just say um, at the outset, thank you for being with us online. We really appreciate when you guys tune in and we hope uh, like always that you find something meaningful um, in the uh, in the words and the music and the things that we do here. But uh, uh, I gotta be honest, there's a little disappointment that we're, we're still online. And yet I'm so glad that we can do this um, and have this type of contact and still, still be safe. Um, but your presence here online means an awful lot to us. So thank you again for being part of it. Over the last few months, uh, I've done um, what I would call topical preaching. Um, we've covered some very specific things, like we did identity and we've talked about prayer and a couple of other things. And um, usually we, we tackle a particular book of the Bible in the summer. You know, you've got June, July, and August, and sometimes just having that single book really puts some structure to the uh, to the summer months, and it makes it a little bit easier for people to go on vacation and makes it a little easier for us to plan. But this has not been a usual summer. It's been very unusual, as, as you know. And, and yet recently I've, I've felt um, like we should go back to a book that we should um, dig in a little bit deeper. Uh, obviously, whenever you, know, you tune into Thrive Church, you're going to get Bible. You're going to you're going to hear what God has to say through his word. But in this case, we're going to focus on that, allow the text to kind of shape um, the things that, that we're going to talk about for the next few weeks. Um, the other thing that, that's been occurring is I've seen this, uh, seen some things happening, um, uh, two other factors in particular that have really caught my attention and um, have given me pause to think about some things. And the, and the first is that I'm seeing some things online, uh, especially on social media, that's rather alarming when it comes to Christianity. I, I'm, I'm going to be honest about that. Um, in fact, I'm going to get into trouble for what I'm going to say next. And I'm going to tell you up front, I'm okay with that. Uh, I feel this strongly about it. And, and here's, here's what you need, you, you need to know. Um, what I think you, you need to hear. God is not a Republican. God is not a Democrat. There is no holy side of the aisle. If you are a follower of Jesus and you are willing to say Jesus is Lord, you must understand there's a cost to that. And what you're saying ultimately is the executive branch, the ju judicial branch, the legislative branch of the United States, the flag and the Constitution are not Lord. Jesus is Lord. And I'm, I'm very concerned about some of the dialogue and the conversation that's going on, especially in social media. Now, here's the thing, though. You need to participate in, in, in government. Uh, you, you have some rights. You should exercise them. Um, by voting your conscience and being part of the process. But you have to understand if you are a Christian and Jesus is Lord, then your allegiance is to him and your behavior needs to reflect that. Now, maybe that's a little bit harsh and maybe that's a, a little bit much coming right out of the gate in the middle of a, 
of a message or at the start of a message, but the fact of the matter is there are some things that I'm seeing online that are making me very uncomfortable um, when it comes to Christians interacting, well, with other Christians, but um, with, with others. Now, if I haven't lost you, if I haven't turned you off or aggravated you sufficiently, um, the other factor that I, I've been thinking about is that as a church, we, we, we constantly want to drive towards this idea that faith in Jesus is, is real. It's not theory. It's an actual daily type of thing, uh, something that we, we pay attention to day in and day out. When we talk about you know, pursuing the presence of God, and we talk about prayer, and we, we talk about worship, and, 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 and the thing of it is, is that church... When we think about that idea, church is what happens actually Monday through Saturday. And when we get together on Sunday, we're celebrating all of the things that God did in the previous week. And, and I would just tell you to go ahead and uh, review Genesis chapter 1 for reference. Because there are six days of actual work, and then on the seventh day, God rested in the, the the idea being conveyed there is that God sat enthroned. And so the rest of the created order worships him on that particular day. And of course, that's you know put into the, the Old Testament law, and it's something that we still practice to this day. But we have to understand that living for, for Jesus, saying Jesus is Lord, means that it's a Monday through Saturday thing, not just a Sunday thing. And um, to, to that end, I really felt like the Lord was prompting um, that we should take a look at the book of, of James. It's this uh, little, it's kind of a letter, but it's also kind of an essay. And it's kind of tucked towards the end of the New Testament. And it's often considered a, a practical book or a pragmatic book um, because it, it deals with doing not just with believing. And, um, or maybe better we could say that it's about expressing our faith. And, and James goes to great lengths to, to try to help us understand that and, and to give us some ideas on, on how to do that a little bit better. So uh, don't think in terms of um, faith over works or works over faith. We don't want that. Rather, it's um, faith that works. Let me say that again. It's not, you know, faith over works. It's not work over faith in the book of James. It's faith that actually works. And that's what James is interested in. And so we're going to ex explore this letter. And the whole idea is to absorb the things that we read uh, and to actually live them out. So um, book of James for the next few weeks. And we're going to deal with, with some very uh, rubber meets the road kinds of issues um, and I think you'll see that even today. Uh, let me talk a little bit about the author. James is actually the brother of Jesus. Um, long storied past. He led the church in Jerusalem uh, after um, some of the other um, apostles went to different places. But he was kind of the guy in charge of that influential church. There's a great picture of him, uh, or at least an artist's rendering of him on the screen. And uh, I, I particularly like this one. I think um, uh, the iconography is, is rather beautiful. 
Uh, interestingly enough, he was very devout. In fact, they, they called him James of Camel Knees. It means his knees were really knobby. If you've seen a camel, they have these big old knobby knees. And the reason why James had those knobby knees is because he spent so much time on them in prayer. At least that's how the, the tradition or the legend goes. So James, the brother of Jesus, was also James of the Camel Knees because of his uh, devotion um, to, the, to the Messiah. I also think that he's a little bit like an Old Testament prophet in the sense that he spends some time in his letter decrying wealthy elites for their for their oppression of the poor. Uh, this is an interesting um, theme that runs throughout his letter, but he's uh, not necessarily decrying wealth per se, but rather wealthy people who are not using their wealth, using their influence to actually um, better others, especially especially the poor, um, which sounds kind of relevant to our day and age, I think. Um, that line of thinking, that preaching, that position that he took got him into a little bit of trouble, and he was ultimately executed in 62 AD. And uh, that's kind of where his story ends, at least as far as we know at this point. The text itself, he is writing to Jewish believers. And we can see a little bit of that in the very first verse. Let me read it to you. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice he doesn't mention he's his brother. But he says, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. To the 12 tribes scattered among the nations, greetings. Okay, so the 12 tribes refers to the 12 tribes of Israel. So he's writing to Jewish believers um, because, you know, he's a servant of the Lord, uh, or servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, But they're scattered among the nations. And so one of the things that we can infer from all of this is that he's writing this letter after the um, the first martyr, which is Stephen. We find Stephen's story in Acts chapter 7. Some of you may remember that from before the pandemic. We actually went through uh, a good portion of Acts, and we did talk about Stephen at one point. So Stephen was one of the uh, elected deacons of the early church. Uh, he ended up preaching, making some people mad, and they stoned him to death. Again, that's Acts chapter 7. But notice what happens in the first verse of Acts chapter 8. Here it is for you. On that day, the day that Stephen was stoned, on that day a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. And so here we have James writing to the 12 tribes, this group of people who have scattered And these are Jewish believers. So we have some evidence uh, of who he is and his relationship to those events here in the first first verse of, um, of, of his letter, of his book. But I want you to see how he starts his letter. It's very odd, actually. Um, So let's read this. I think this is important um, to start at the beginning. It's a very good place to start, according to Julie Andrews. So consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Yeah. So it, it's a relatively 
uh, famous passage. I know that it's often quoted um, to people when they're dealing with something that they don't want to deal with. When they're experiencing a certain amount of pain, we tend to trot this one out and say, hey, you know, keep this, this verse in mind. I'm not sure it's that helpful. But uh, in other words, it's, it's something that gets quoted often and a lot of us know it. But there's a progression here and I want you to see it. Uh, and I tend to like pictures and a little bit of graphics. So here, here we go. You've got this idea of, of trials that's happening over there. And the word here, trials, um, just simply means difficulty. It means a testing period. Um, something that is to be proven is tested, and that's the word that's used here. So you have this idea of trials, so you have some difficulty. And the difficulty uh, has a purpose, and that is to produce perseverance, or another word that's um, commonly used in some translations is endurance. You gotta push through that thing. So you have the trials, and there's some perseverance. And then there's this interesting little phrase that, that James uses when he says, uh, let perseverance finish its work. So when you're enduring something, there's actually a point to it. And ultimately, James lands on this idea of wholeness in completion. And there are two very specific words here. They're actually kind of a challenge to, to translate directly into English. And so these are the two words that I think make the most sense to me is that perseverance uh, is to produce wholeness in us and also completion. And the idea that's carried here and the one that we often use um, when we're talking about this passage or translating it is this idea of maturity. That there is trials, there's perseverance, and ultimately that brings uh, maturity into our, our own lives. And I think that's an important thing to remember. There's a progression that's happening here. And there's a purpose behind all of it. The problem is, for the vast majority of us, is we really don't like trials, do we? We, we don't particularly like being tested. I um, was talking with my, my eldest daughter uh, about you know, college classes. And uh, personally, I would much rather write an essay or a paper as a, as a final than take a final exam. Because uh, I don't really like the testing. <laughs> I would much prefer to uh, demonstrate what I know by writing it in some type of, some type of paper. And we were had an interesting discussion about that. But we don't really like trials because they're, they're not fun. In fact, there's, there's this phrase that's no pain, no gain. And you've seen this too. But I think the majority of us feel more like no pain, no pain, yes, and we're all excited about that. Woohoo! There's not any type of difficulty here. We would much prefer that. But the reality is, the reality is that growth always requires some type of resistance. If you want to grow your muscles, you actually have to press against some resistance. That's why we, that's why we do weight training. Uh, that's why we do um, different types of, uh, of um, uh, like body weight calisthenics. Those produce resistance to help build muscle. Or if you're thinking about learning something new just in brain power, you have to create uh, synapses. You have to create connection between brain cells. And, and that 
um, requires a certain amount of resistance and some repetition in order to overcome that so that those brain cells fire correctly. So growth of any type requires some type of resistance. And I was thinking about this because um, if you think in terms of a butterfly in chrysalis, and as they are emerging out of that, uh, there's quite a bit of research um, that demonstrates that the process of breaking out of the cocoon is very important for the development of a butterfly's wings. It needs the resistance to build the strength in those, those wings that eventually it can fly. So growth of any type requires some type of resistance. Huh. So we've got to have a little bit of pain in order to grow. But James just kind of heaps on the, the challenge here, doesn't he? Because in the very, uh, very first part of that passage in, in verse 2, he says, um, consider it joy. Consider it joy when you experience this stuff. So I got to have the testing and trials and be happy about it? Really? Yeah. That's hard. Can, can we just say that? That's a difficult thing to do. When you're dealing with testing, when you're trying to just endure and still have joy in all of that. That's a hard task. And I think that it requires us to take a long view of things. We have to zoom out. Oftentimes I feel like my job as, as a father, even as a husband, as a, as, a, as, a, as a leader, as a pastor, all those things is to help people zoom out and see a bigger picture, hopefully the bigger picture of what God's doing. We have to take a long view if we want some joy. Because if, what, if what's testing you right now produces something positive in your life, you can endure it. If, if you know going into it that this is leading somewhere, that this is, this is going for your benefit, you can endure it. And you might be even be able to find a little bit of joy. And here's the thing. The thing that we've got to remember, the thing we have to continually remind ourselves about is that we serve a God of redemption. And he can redeem the junk in your life too. It, it's not just for someone else, it's actually for you. That we serve that God of redemption. And so whatever it is that, that, that's testing you, that's, that's giving you trials, whatever that happens to be, God can redeem that. He can actually bring something good out of it. In short, I believe that God will make it count. Which, by the way, is a great prayer. It's a great prayer. This idea of making it count can bring some joy. Yes, I'm going through this. No, I don't particularly like it. But God, if you can bring something out of this, if you can produce some maturity in my life, then I can find some joy because I trust that you can make this count. So let me ask. Let me ask the question. Let me ask the tough question. This is the rubber meets the road question. This is where James's 
book impacts our life. So how do you see the pandemic? How do you, how do you view the wearing of masks and social distancing? Or how do you view the state of the economy, which is going to get worse, by the way? At this point, I think it's inevitable. It's just a matter of time. But how are you viewing that? Hmm. To even make it more pointed, to make it more relevant to our, our passage, are you viewing these things with joy? Well, if Facebook is any indication, the answer is no. <laughs> Most of us are not um, handling this with much joy. And, and that's the point. Consider it joy when you face trials and testing. So however you view the pandemic and all the inconveniences that go along with that and the economic um, challenges that are sure to come, they are imminent, they are happening at some point. Can you still view it with joy? Because it will be painful Arguably, all these things are trials. They are testing each one of us. But can you trust God through them? Can we adopt a posture of joy where God can make this stuff count? Can we do that as individuals, but also as a church body, a, a faith community? Will we joyfully grow through the inconvenience and the pain? Now, look, here's the thing. You might get down. I, I understand that. I think that's just human. From time to time, you're going to get down about it. It happens. There's just so much. And you read something that hits you at the wrong angle. It happened to me the other day. And you end up kind of, you know, nitpicking at your wife and kids and your, or, or your, your spouse and your kids. And, and you just kind of get down and that happens. So don't beat yourself up over those types of things. No, it's not joyful, but it's going to happen from, from time to time. But can we pause, take a breath, step back, and see the long view, see that bigger picture? Can we zoom out for just a section, uh, just a second, and, and believe maybe that even through all of this mess, God might be up to something? See, that's, that's real faith. That's a faith that deals with the reality of our circumstances and takes the Bible seriously. Count it all joy, James writes to us, when we face these types of things because there's a purpose to it. God is a God of redemption and it will bring maturity to us. And that is something that you can count on. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, my prayer is for every one of us that um, we would be able to take that long view uh, and trust that you can make all of this count. I don't know where people are when they're uh, sitting in their, in their living rooms right now and they're watching, uh, watching this and they're um, dealing with their own lives and, and their own families and their own challenges. And they may have other things on top of pandemic and job loss and economic woes and difficulty. I don't know. Who knows? You do. You know. And I pray, Lord, that 
today, every person who's watching and listening would be able to take a moment and say, hey, God, you can make this count. I can endure if you're going to bring about something positive. Maturity in my own life, the long view, the bigger picture. So Lord, would you please speak to every person clearly? As they try to get into your presence, would you meet them right where they are and speak to them in a way that they will understand? And that you would uh, bring them the peace and the confidence that you're going to make all of this count for something at some point. And we thank you, Lord, for being a, a real God. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. Thank you.